This is the decision point with Anand Nanduri. Anand, you've had your caffeine, your coffee, so have I. We need to talk about the AFC South today. There's some intrigue. I'm starting to see uh, reports from some uh, underrated quarterbacks having great camps. But we should start with the defending AFC South champion, the Tennessee Titans. Any interesting storylines from Tennessee that you're seeing? Do you agree with how they've managed their roster this offseason? Talk to us about the Titans. So, I mean, if you just go through, right? So just for anybody that hasn't paid close attention, they added Robert Woods, Austin Hooper, which good signing there, Jamarco Jones, but they lost all of their running back depth. Um, and so they obviously had to draft Hassan Haskins to, to replace that. And that's why, you know, handcuff value, he's really, really, really good value as a running back, given what they did with that committee backfield when Derrick Henry went down last year. Well, it was the Dante Foreman show. Yeah. It was Dante Foreman, and they, they, they've retained Dontrell Hilliard. So right. Dontrell Hilliard gets drafted in deep leagues, and uh, as does Dante Foreman as the, as the, uh, the, the primary backup now to Christian McCaffrey. And when you look at Hassan Haskins, he is going to slot in as the primary backup to Derrick Henry. Not a super explosive runner by any means, but he's huge. He's 6'2", 228, so he's comparable to Carlos Hyde. And he had 1,300 rushing yards and 20 rushing touchdowns. Not the greatest receiver, but the guy at least... Got you close to uh, 20 receptions last year. He can catch dump-offs, and he, he was a productive and efficient runner last year. And before that, right, he was with, behind Chris Evans. Yeah. And we like Chris Evans. Yeah. So he, he had the COVID year, and then his final year was super productive. So that's that's the reason why he was a fourth-round pick, not like a sixth- or seventh-round pick. He was a fourth-round pick because – in that one chance he had to shine, he did exactly that. And I was just in a high-stakes draft at the FFWC, the Player Profiler Championships, last night. I drafted Derrick Henry. In the second round, he fell to the mid-second round, which was wild. Wow. I rarely ever draft Derrick Henry, but I was like, I'm just going to be the value police. So I just played value police. We'll talk to Billy Muzio next week about that draft board, how it played out. He likes my draft. I think I actually had a draft that was better than Billy's for the first time in my life, maybe. (laughs) I think it worked out. Playing value cop was fun. But I just couldn't bring myself to drafting Haskins. I had him queued up, and I'm like, we don't handcuff here. We don't bet against ourselves. Yep. But I agree with that. There's very few straightforward, direct handcuff options across the NFL. Haskins is close to that. It would st- there would still be Dontrell Hilliard in passing downs, but Haskins would get the majority of the work. We know that Haskins, as a fourth-round pick and a productive college player, would get the majority of the work. So in managed leagues, not best ball, but in managed leagues, you want to grab Haskins when you're backing up the truck at running back and you're drafting two, three, four, five running backs in a row to close out your draft. Chris Evans, Hassan Haskins... Players that are from Michigan, apparently. Yeah. But they're the best options because there's going to be an injury in training camp. Yeah. So the earlier your draft is, the earlier in August your draft is, the more you want to be investing in running backs at the end of your draft, stockpiling them. 
because there is always a Cam Akers, a J.K. Dobbins rupturing an Achilles, tearing an ACL, and then that would just immediately foist Hassan Haskins on the fantasy world as a, a starting running back, essentially. Yeah. Behind him, they did draft Julius Chestnut. Julius Chestnut was an absolute monster at Sacred Heart, small school, but he's been flashing in camp. There's been more buzz, at least during rookie camp, about Chestnut than there was Haskins, where the beat reporters were like, who is this Chestnut guy? He's making plays. He's not a great athlete either, but he at least has nice size-adjusted agility and strength and was a, a complete beast at Sacred Heart. Not a lot of receiving work, but this was a run-first offense at Sacred Heart. If you have a professional caliber running back in a division where you're playing, you know, Fairfield University, right, and Fairleigh Dickinson, you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna feed that guy, you know, over and over and over and over and over again. But because of the COVID season, also with these uh, small conferences, the COVID season also cut short their 2021 season as well as their 2020 season some of these conferences didn't even play football in 2020 at all so you actually have to go back all the way to 2019 with julius chestnut to when he had 1500 plus rushing yards and 14 receptions so that would be the stat line to focus on with julius chestnut and our breakout finder app has a clever way of focusing on the right details when you look back through time at a player's uh, college history, their production history. And the breakout finder identified Julius Chestnut right away as a sleeper. Go to the App Store, get the breakout finder. So that's the backfield. I am not going to envision a world where you're going to want to have Dontrell Hilliard unless there's an injury to Derrick Henry and it falls into more of a split backfield where it's a 70-30 Haskins with Hilliard, and then yet Chestnut, a great stash in Dynasty for the Taxi Squad, knowing that he could just outperform Haskins. It may take a year, but given that he has size and average athleticism, at least above average size-adjusted athleticism, and potential receiving skills, because it's a big unknown is receiving skills, I would absolutely be stashing Julius Chestnut just based on what the breakout finder was telling us. So that is the the assessment of the backfield, the most important for fantasy football. That's where Derrick Henry is getting drafted. Now, second round, though, big news, Derrick Henry falling to the mid-second round. That's insane. It makes sense. It makes sense. In full PPR leagues, people want an Aaron Jones over yeah. a, a, a Derrick Henry. I, I get it, but... If I have an opportunity to get a guy that's going to put up, you know, 200 yards a game rushing, yeah, multiple touchdowns, just he's the slate breaker. Yeah, there was all these there's weeks in DFS. Remember, th- remember back to DFS where every third week or so, Derrick Henry would break the slate, and that's what you want: true week winning upside on long touchdowns from your running back. Derrick Henry is the the rare case of a player that I'm happy drafting, even if he's not a strong pass catcher. Nick Chubb doesn't have that ceiling. Other between-the-tackles grinders just can't compete with Derrick Henry in terms of the ceiling as a runner. But there's just so much production there as a runner. I was happy to get him. Now, the receiving core is interesting in that 
reports from camp are that Robert Woods looks smooth and completely healthy, which is amazing that he because it was a midseason ACL tear. Yeah, he's coming back from. And the thing about Woods that we talked about every so often, um, it's one thing that McVay will not put you out there if you're unwilling to do. Uh, Benny Skoranek was out there out of necessity last year when people got hurt. But Robert Woods is a phenomenal blocker, and he's willing and capable. And in an offense where they're going to run a lot more than your average team, that's only exacerbated. Like his, his fantasy football value is one thing, but his actual value to that team, if he's fully healthy and capable of blocking like he can block, especially when you add, you know, Traylon Burks on the other side, who's another huge body at receiver. Oh, wow. Wow. I never yeah. thought about that. They, they may have been uh, drafting and signing receivers partly because they're great blockers. Yeah. And they, they just want to continue their run first approach and just destroy opposing defenses at the point of attack. And that's including the receivers. Yeah. And look, like one of the things that you watch them do, right? They moved off of Roger Saffold and David Questenberry to Saffold's an all pro guard. Yeah. I mean, he's now in his 30s, but yes. Yeah, I mean, and then they drafted Pettit Frere from Ohio State, tackle that they really like. And then, realistically, what they tried to do was, in losing uh, two tight ends, and losing Ferkser and Michael Pruitt, they said, okay, we'll bring in Austin Hooper, and if he can give us that upside at tight end again, right, we can win creatively in our pass game. Robert Woods is our route technician. Traylon Burks is our traditional X. And if Hooper can force people out of those base run defense shells, right, we can have some fun here. Because if you leave a light box for Henry, good luck. It, it's it's going to be death by a thousand paper cuts. It's going to be a little bit more of your like traditional offense as opposed to what's been sweeping the league the last couple years. But that doesn't mean it can't be effective. I mean, this was... Nobody, absolutely no one picked them to be a 12-5 and five number one seed last year, and they made it there anyway. Do I think I get that they get there this year? No. No. I, I, I think they take a significant step back, but they're still a dangerous team, right? Like, the defense last year, especially after Henry went out, rose to the challenge and was absolutely incredible throughout the second half of the year. So they're capable of winning, even though it seems it's just run the ball, play defense. Like they're capable of winning multiple ways and in a little more, they're a little more flexible than you think in terms of how they can win, but it all starts run the ball, play defense. So I'm looking at the, uh, the over-unders on Caesar's sports book, the total wins prop on the Titans. Can you guess what it is? Nine, nine and a half. It is nine and a half. Hey, nice job. Nine and a half. And, oh, the, the, your guess. Your guess was so good because it is nine and a half, but uh, the public is very much on the under. The under is minus 140. The over is plus 120, which is essentially a line of nine. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're adjusting the payout because the line should be 9.0. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's right where it should be. I think this is kind of a 9-8 and eight team that if a couple things break right, could be a 10-11 win team. A couple things break wrong, could be an 8-7 or seven win team. I, I think more likely under. More likely under yeah. uh, 9 wins, 8 wins. Yeah. I think they're going to be a really, really, really tough out 
even for playoff teams, but they just don't have the ceiling to keep up with other offenses in the AFC at this point. And I think that's kind of going to be the okay, they're going to be they're going to really really threaten good teams, but they can't finish them off and they're going to beat bad teams because they're not a bad team. So we're going to the world famous draft kit on playerprofiler.com world famous draft kit. We have this strength of schedule breakdown. So they have a top 10 run schedule and a bottom 10 pass schedule. So it's the schedule shapes up to be a lot easier for Derrick Henry than it does Ryan Tannehill. And here's why not a lot of shootouts on this schedule. That's the issue. You had the Giants, Bills. That, at the Bills, they could just get blown out, right? Yeah. Raiders at home, that's a shootout. Colts, Commanders, Colts, Texans. Fortunately, they do cross against the AFC West, so they do get the Chargers. They do get the Broncos, the Chiefs, the Raiders. Those are some clear shootouts. Maybe Week 17, the Fantasy Super Bowl against the Cowboys. That's good news. Yeah. It is a shame that at Jaguars is not in the fantasy playoffs. Typically, the final game of the season usually doesn't count for fantasy, and that's at the Jaguars. So that's a little bit, that's a gut punch. Because yeah. if, when you have Derrick Henry in fantasy, you're circling those two games against the Jaguars on the schedule. And one yeah. of them's not going to count. That's that's a shame. But as the, the second half of the, of the season... It's Chiefs, Broncos, Packers, Bengals, Eagles, Chargers, Cowboys. That that is shaping up really nice for Ryan Tannehill. And when you look at Ryan Tannehill, his completion percentage was great with a clean pocket. It was good in the red zone. And he was even top 10 under pressure. The issue was all of his deep balls couldn't connect because no one could separate deep. Okay. When it's Nick Westbrook-Akine out there and a hobbled A.J. Brown, of course you're not going to be able to connect on deep passes. So his deep ball completion percentage was absolutely pathetic, 27.3, and that's what dragged down his entire uh, you know, completion percentage overall. But when we look at each throw on its own merits, his 7.9 accuracy rating out of 10 was number 6 in the NFL. It's just that he was constantly pressured. He was number three in pressured throws, and he ended up th being number three in interceptable passes because of it. And uh, the, the deep ball attempts just uh, didn't materialize. So it was it wasn't like he was throwing it deep a lot. But even though this guy's constantly under pressure, even though no one was separating, he was still largely accurate. And yeah. you look at the accuracy rating on quarterbacks, specifically when they have a, a, a significant wide receiver upgrade. Now, oh, you're losing A.J. Brown. Okay, fine, you're losing A.J. Brown. But they've added Woods and Burks and Hooper, as you mentioned. So it's a much deeper, uh, much better unit, especially given that Brown didn't play a lot of last year. Yeah. So I, I think Ryan Tannehill is largely underrated. His expected points added, his EPA, was actually plus 150.6. That was number eight in the NFL last year. So he was a lot more efficient than it looked because he didn't have the volume and didn't have receivers making plays to generate fantasy points. But otherwise, he was good. And yeah. so he's the perfect sort of second quarterback in Superflex if you want to wait on quarterback and, and 
Maybe go with a car or a cousins. If you can't double tap car or cousins, then you can wait. We talked to Sean Kerner about getting Daniel Jones and Ryan Tannehill is very similar to Daniel Jones. These are guys that have rushing ability. They rush for touchdowns every year and they can give you two, 300 yards rushing last year. Tannehill gave you 270 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns, seven rushing touchdowns from Ryan Tannehill. That's what Dak Prescott could give you this year. So that's the nice thing about Prescott, about Daniel Jones, about Ryan Tannehill that you're not getting necessarily with a Kirk Cousins is that that rushing ability. So I'm seeing that Ryan Tannehill is a real value. I think that the quarterbacks in the AFC South in particular are a nice value in Superflex. All of them, really. Tannehill is a value. Matt Ryan is a value. Davis Mills is a value. And Trevor Lawrence is a value given his ceiling as one of the top quarterback prospects we've seen. Now, talking about the Colts, how do you feel about their offseason moves? I mean, we've talked before about, you know, what we thought about how they handled swinging a miss with Carson Wentz, turning those into two-thirds. That's brilliant GM work. Love that. But then to be able to go out and replace him with Matt Ryan is what really made all of this go, right? I mean, Matt Ryan is your prototypical drop-back passer that people have started to forget to care about because we have these super freaks. We talked about it last show, right? But he's still very, very accurate, very capable. As long as you put a really good offensive line in front of him, like what Atlanta had in that 2018 run of the Super Bowl. Like, guys, they've they've got one of the best offensive lines in the league in Indianapolis, and it's why it made sense to go get your prototypical drop-back passer, and Matt Ryan, that's probably got a couple years, couple good years left in him. I think this was possibly the most significant quarterback upgrade of the people that we know about that are going to play this year. I, I mean, look, like going from Carson Wentz, who will win you one game and lose you four, to a guy that's just going to steady the ship, allow Jonathan Taylor to do what he does, allow the offensive line to go to town over and over and over again, and let the defense win when they need to win. I mean, I can't tell you how valuable that is. Well, Vegas agrees. Do you know the line on the Colts? I do not. Ten, ten and a half? Nine and a half. Nine and a half also? But, 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 if you take the over at nine and a half on Caesars, code PODFATHER15 for $1,500 of first bet insurance, minus 135, which is essentially 10. The line is essentially 10, so you got it right again. It's almost like you're good at this. It's almost like this is something that you do every day. Eh, something like that. Yeah, it's almost something like that. Yeah, you're, you know. We, we, we have fun. We have you fun know, you know, you know these numbers, forwards and backwards. And just like I would take the under, even though it, it's it's the uh, a, a lot of VIG, I would uh, likely eat the VIG here, too, and go over on the Colts. The Colts, like you said, they have a better offensive line. Now, the Titans, they do have nice tackles, right? They have Ben Jones, and they have Taylor Lewin. uh, But the Colts, they've been upgrading their offensive line. Real heartbreak, not getting Sky Moore in the second round and going Alec Pierce. Now, the news (laughs) out right now on Alec Pierce is that he's been running with the ones. And yet, yeah, he's been running with the starters from day one, is what I'm reading. And uh, I don't believe you. Like, I don't believe you. I know that the Athletics... Zach Kiefer 
says that Alec Pierce has been with the starters from day one because that Frank Reich mandates that each receiver knows each position X, Y, and Z, meaning that in addition to the physical challenge of taking reps with the first team, Pierce is being asked to learn a complicated playbook at a rapid rate. This is a wide receiver who's being set up to fail. When you compare his career at Cincinnati, it's not more impressive than Paris Campbell's and wasn't even more impressive than Ashton Doolin's at Malone, but Ashton Doolin did go to Malone. So then you look at the physical profiles and Ashton Doolin is a similar physical profile to Alec Pierce. It's just that Alec Pierce is a rookie. So I'm not expecting anything from Alec Pierce. And I was trying to convince Billy Muzio to push Ashton Doolin ahead of Alec Pierce in the rankings. He wasn't quite willing to do it, but I believe that after a few wow factor plays in preseason, maybe a long touchdown. Remember Marquez Calloway last year? Oh, yeah. Remember? Uh, you know, at the pylon. Oh, Marquez Calloway touchdown. Oh, this matters. No, it doesn't. With Ashton Doolin, he's an all pro special teamer. He's my signature truther. I'm hoarding him everywhere. It's time to start getting him at the end of best ball drafts. He's making plays every day I look up. Are you on my my Twitter timeline at fantasy underscore mansion? Are you seeing Ashton Doolin plays week in, week out? The drumbeat continues. It's every single day, not just every week. Are you seeing this? Are you yeah. seeing these highlights from Colts camp with Ashton Doolin? He looks really good. Doesn't he look good? He does look good. Doesn't he look like he went to Ohio State, not Malone? <laughs> In training camp, Matt, let's pump the brakes on him being <laughs> the next All-Pro receiver. He is an All-Pro. He, he, made, he made the All-Pro team last year on special teams, but that's uh, how you do it. That's how you do it. And then I get buzzards on social media you know, trolling me, right? Like, oh, uh, he's fifth string, bruh, right? Fifth string. Not for long. Fifth string, bruh. And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, first of all, buddy, there's no such thing as fifth string. That would mean that he's the 10th wide receiver on the depth chart. That's not true, okay? So is he third string? No. Actually, he's second string now, and that's how it works. In the first two seasons, what did Adam Thielen produce? Did he do a goddamn thing? No. No, it's a very rare thing that an undrafted wide receiver produces at all in the first couple of years. Jacoby Myers is the great exception because there was no talent. It was a completely bare cupboard when you look at the talent of the wide receiver room. When you walked in the wide receiver room in New England, there was nobody. It was Nikhil Harry who could not separate. Jacoby Myers waltzes in as like, I guess I'm the starter, guys? Right. <laughs> In Indianapolis, it's taken some time. T.Y. Hilton was there, and Zach Pascal earned a role Yeah, with Michael Pittman. And, and now a lot of those receivers are gone. Hilton gone, Pascal gone, Paris Campbell is back. Paris Campbell and Ashton Doolin are two players you need to be getting on prediction strike. I mean, at, at one point, Ashton Doolin wasn't even on prediction strikes. You keep monitoring prediction strike. Get the app, promo code UNDERWORLD, you get... A free player share could be Paris Campbell every time you deposit $20. So what you do is you monitor preseason. You monitor preseason on prediction strike. And if guys are flashing, especially on teams where the wide receiver job is wide open, like I think Devin Duvernay is going to be the number two in Baltimore, but I'm open to the possibility that it's James Prochet or somebody else. 
Yeah. Right? I believe wholeheartedly it's Jalen Tolbert's job to lose as the number two in Dallas. Yeah. But I'm still going to be watching training camp. And if Noah Brown is running with the ones and Noah Brown is making plays in preseason with Dak Prescott, you're going to have to start to change your assumptions and stop wish casting. You need to take in the information. It's a Bayesian process as it comes in and you adjust your assumptions and your conclusions accordingly. So this is the perfect team to watch very closely on an app that treats players like stocks, like prediction strike. And as soon as the drumbeat starts with Paris Campbell making plays in preseason, especially if it's in packages with the first-team offense, with Matt Ryan, if you see Ashton Doolin catching a long touchdown in preseason from Matt Ryan, oh, look out. Oh, oh, you are not, you're not going to be able to find me. Right? They're going to have to they're going to have to scour the earth for me. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be in outer space. Like he's gone everybody. Where would he go? Oh, there he is. He's in the Ashton Doolin spaceship <laughs> circling the planet. That's where I'm going to be if that happens. And that's why they made apps like Prediction Strike. So, you know, maybe sure, you can stockpile these wide receivers very late in best ball, but if you don't have 45 minutes to do a draft, that's okay. You can always pick them up on Prediction Strike. I mean, I think that one thing that we took barely touched on is if Paris Campbell returns and either Pierce, it, it, whichever one it is, Pierce, Ashton Doolin, whatever. Right, right? But th- it, that, that, is, that is the decision point for the coaching staff, just to be clear. It's not Pierce versus Campbell. No. Campbell's locked in to that flanker role, that slot flanker role. They're going to bring Campbell in motion. Tell me this isn't the most devastating play. They're going to bring Campbell in motion motion him into the slot, hike the ball, and then he's immediately going to run a double move on a slot corner, and it's going to be absolutely impossible to stop. The last player that did that consistently and was the most efficient wide receiver in the league that year was Kenny Stills. That was the Kenny Stills move, right, to motion him inside and then run a double move off the slot corner. I want them to do that on a loop with Paris Campbell, just post up Pittman on the other side, and then whether it's Doolin or whether it's Pierce, who's who's playing off that, don't care. Well, I do yeah. care. I mean, what do you mean? I do care. I, yeah, of course I mean, you of care. Of course I care. I want it to be Doolin. But my first priority, and all of our first priority, needs to be finding creative ways to get Ashton Doolin the ball. That's the priority, Colts coaching staff. You agree with that, right? I mean, yeah. it's established. They're going to throw the ball to Pittman on the outside. It's established. They're going to feed Jonathan Taylor. But in the other plays in the playbook, I'm begging the Colts coaching staff to max out plays involving getting the ball to Paris Campbell. Yeah. I mean, look, we know dynamic, explosive athlete creates matchup problems in a lot of the same ways that... um that a tight end creates matchup problems with size. He creates matchup problems with speed, right? And the fact that he can do all of these things, you can motion him into the backfield and go duel back with Jonathan Taylor. You can put him in the slot. You can move him around all over the place. He has the skill set to do so many things. And like obviously the injuries have kind of sapped some of the life force out of what we thought he could be. But if he's back to 100%, that adds an element to this offense that they haven't had in a long time, right? 
Because now, if you get the breakout, whether it's Pierce or Doolin, it doesn't matter, right? They're going to play that the, the role that Donovan Peoples-Jones played for the Browns last year, where it's just, hey, clear everything out for us and if we, and win when we need you to win, right? Whereas Campbell's going to do all of the dirty work underneath. Jonathan Taylor's going to grind out yard after yard after yard. And Michael Pittman's going to move the chains for you on third down and be your playmaker when you need one. Suddenly, with Matt Ryan at the trigger, this offense looks a lot different, right? Like, the the floor hasn't changed on this offense at all. At its base, it's pretty good. But the ceiling has drastically changed if you get a breakout from one of them, if Campbell's healthy, and now that Matt Ryan's there. So you've gone from a team that, you know, needs to run the ball to a team that has the ability to throw it all over the yard if they want to. Oh, and still has the hammer and Jonathan Taylor whenever you want to bring him out, buoyed by an offensive line that's easily top five in the NFL. And I mean, they're, they're just going to have fun this year. They're going to have so much fun on the offensive side of the ball because they have matchup nightmares everywhere. He is fragile. I'm looking at yeah. the injury finder. He is one of the most fragile wide receivers in the league. It's because that these were foot and knee injuries. We're talking about sprained MCL, PCL, foot fractures, foot sprains. It's not that that injury type. And you can sort in the Injury Finder app, in the App Store, you can sort by injury type and you can look at all the different types of injuries. We have a whole injury database and you can sort by severity, you can sort by body part. It, it's it's actually it's an incredibly robust tool to have on your phone. But that type of injury is what does contribute to a high fragility rating. We fight, if, if, if it were a broken hand as opposed to a broken foot or a shoulder injury, that would be one thing. But I do worry that some of his explosiveness has been lost with all of these re rehabilitations and, and all of the injuries to the lower body parts. So we'll see. The, the bottom line is you don't have to pay anything. On Underdog, for example, uh, ADP 171. I don't understand how that's possible. I got him last night in the FFWC draft. And by the way, when you sign up for the FFWC, use promo code PODFATHER, and then you get $100 off a three-pack. And I noticed a bunch of members of this audience competing against me and Billy in that Player Profiler Championships. We stayed up late. I stayed up particularly late. Billy's West Coast. It was an 11 <laughs> p.m. start, but I was editing the, the big pod I did, the My Dimension pod with Sean Kerner. So I was like, okay, that's, this is cool. We'll go. We'll start Devontae Adams. I had the 107. I imagined I was getting Stephon Diggs, but I can't have nice things. The Podfather almost never drafts inside the, the top half of a first round. That streak continued, and <laughs> and but I was fine. I was like, hey, you're gonna you're gonna snipe me on Diggs. That was a snipe because Diggs usually goes later in the first round. So yep. I was technically sniped on Diggs. That's what a snipe is. If a guy falls to you or is falling and doesn't quite make it to you, that's not a snipe. No. That's not a snipe. A snipe is when the guy ahead of you overdrafts a player you were going to overdraft. Yeah. That's a snipe. And I got fully sniped on Diggs, but I was happy to get, get Adams. And then it's just you let your league mates decide what running back falls to you in the second round. You play that game every single time yep. from mid to late draft position 
in the first round, and then I was like, okay, I guess I'll take Derrick Henry. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I certainly got Paris Campbell late, and that was one of those picks where I, I, I saw my chat blow up when I took Paris Campbell, and Billy was like, damn you. And I was like, ooh, that was a good pick. Yeah. So that was, that was a good pick. So, yes, that in best, this is even in best ball. In best ball, the fact that we're looking at a wide receiver who's trending to be a starter and he has explosive boom weeks and he's going at slot 170 on underdog and best ball mania. Best ball mania is happening right now. Promo code underworld. Best ball mania is happening. And it's 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 ten million dollars in prizes. I'm so proud of underdog for growing at, at such a, a fast rate. And that's we should all want that. We should all want these fantasy platforms to grow as fast as possible. Because Absolutely, then you get these giant prize pools. Yeah, it's incredible. So yeah, promo code Underworld. You get an instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars on Underdog, and your mission is to draft Paris Campbell, draft DJ Shark, draft Nico Collins. Those are your marching orders. But Campbell goes like twenty slots after those guys. It's wild. Twenty slots after George Pickens. In fantasy football this year, wouldn't you rather yeah. have Paris Campbell? Yeah, and look, the I think the other part of this that people will love to forget if is obviously I've, I watch a lot more Ohio State than other people do. Everybody loves Curtis Samuel as this late flyer, and they played together at Ohio State at the same time. And Paris Campbell played in front of him. Like, don't don't let the injuries of the last two years let you forget what his actual ceiling looks like. Because they drafted him in round two for a reason. He was supposed to be that next, I hate to put this player's name into it, but I, for lack of a better role, he was supposed to be that next Percy Harvin type supercharge, move him all over the place, slot receiver slash wide back, whatever you want to call him. And injuries robbed us of that, right? And honestly, bad quarterback play robbed him of it too. So now you have a very, very accurate quarterback behind a really good offensive line and skill players around him that aren't going to force him to be the number one, number two, number three option on every single play. Now you can scheme touches for him that are more valuable than the ones that he got as a rookie, as a sophomore, so on. I think that if there is a year to bet on Paris Campbell breaking out in the league, I think this is the year to do it. If, if, it's, if not this year, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, if if it's not this year, I I struggle to say like unless he has some late career rebirth like a Cordero Patterson, which we've barely ever seen. I I don't see it happening if not this year. And I think look, especially best ball, who so he so your pick one seventy doesn't perform. Who gives a shit? <laughs> right. <laughs> like yeah, I mean remember once upon a time Curtis Samuel was a top thirty fantasy receiver on the strength of gadget plays rushing. We talked about this with. Debo Samuel, on occasion, a team will start to feed a wide receiver in the running game. Now, the odds they do that, though, with Jonathan Taylor as opposed to Elijah Mitchell <laughs> are much lower. So yeah. I don't see Paris Campbell getting that rushing volume like Curtis Samuel had in 2020. Curtis Samuel went from being the air yard king, the unrealized air yards king, right? The prayer yards. Yeah. Really is what they were. Prayer yards where he had 627 actual receiving yards on 1500 plus air yards in 2019 with Cam <laughs> Newton. It was an absolute abomination. Oh, God. I don't know if Cam Newton was hurt that year. I think that was the year that Cam Newton went down 
and there was a carousel of uh, yeah bottom not not good bottom one hundred quarterbacks yeah, in the it was league. Not good. Yeah. It was a bad bad scene that year for uh, Curtis Samuel, but he was used as their deep threat where you couldn't connect. And then the very next year, they said, no, we're going to move him close to the line of scrimmage, and he's going to end up having 150-plus more actual receiving yards than air yards. So he was used almost primarily behind the line of scrimmage. I think that's what we're going to see more from Paris Campbell, just without the rushing volume that Curtis Samuel had. Cut that rushing volume in half, you're still looking at 12-plus fantasy points a game, and the beauty is with receivers that are used like Curtis Samuel was used that way in 2020, where you get the occasional rushing touchdown, that's where spike weeks can happen, where you can get a rushing touchdown and you can get a receiving touchdown, and suddenly you're a top 10 receiver in fantasy football that week. That's why Paris Campbell is such a great pick in best ball. Such a great pick. I mean, like you look at the little tap passes that teams run near the goal line now because, you know, especially against a running back like Taylor, they're going to stack the box and essentially dare you to do anything other than run the ball with Jonathan Taylor. Those little tap passes and, you know, the the little creative things that he allows you to do can steal you cheap touchdowns in best ball on certain weeks. And look, you don't hope that over the season he puts up 1,500 yards and 12 touchdowns. That's not what he's going to do. But among the six, seven hundred yards and maybe the seven, eight touchdowns that he scores. Yeah, eight hundred and fifty yards. Yeah. Eight hundred and fifty yards and some some rushing bonus points sprinkled in. Yeah. And that's all you need. Like, look, he's gonna have spike weeks. And that's why, like, in traditional fantasy and in dynasty, his value is so tied to what he does this year. Whereas in best ball, you only need three, four big weeks out of them to make that pick in the one seventies worth it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's insane. I can't yeah. believe that where he's going, and it's just, it's a smash every single time. And it's not just on underdog promo code Underworld. It's, it's also the FFWC. It, it's high stakes. It's best ball. You can get Paris Campbell. He's very attainable. I, I don't under, I don't know what more has to happen in training camp to get people to recognize, oh, you, you, you want some Paris Campbell. Now, the problem is they start at Houston and at Jacksonville. So those are going to be Jonathan Taylor weeks all the way. Then it gets interesting. Then it's Chiefs, Titans, Broncos, Jaguars, Titans. And so the, the, it, the schedule opens up in the middle. And then I love, the, I love how they close it out. Cowboys, Vikings, Chargers, Giants. At the Giants could actually be a shootout. Yeah. The Giants offense is going to take a step forward this year. That could be a shootout. And when you look at this offense, Michael Pittman is a given. You know, he sometimes leaks into the late second round even in leagues that start three wide receivers. I don't like him that high because it is it is a run-first offense. Yeah. But whenever Chris Ballard talks about this offense, he talks about a trio of skill position players, does not mention Paris Campbell, sadly, does not mention Ashton Doolin, certainly does not mention Alec Pierce. And when you look at the other receivers around Paris Campbell, that's more evidence that he's going to be used close to the line of scrimmage. Knowing that both Alec Pierce and Ashton Doolin have four four wheels, and then when you look at how Ashton Doolin's being used in training camp, catching these deep passes, that's yet more evidence 
to suggest that Paris Campbell is going to be used close to the line of scrimmage, not downfield. And that's going to be an easier path, actually, for him uh, to have usable weeks. So that's interesting. Yeah. Naheem Hines is that third weapon that the coaches and the general manager continue to talk about. And he's another great best ball player. I don't draft a lot of Colts in managed leagues, but I do love drafting Paris Campbell. I'm going to start drafting Ashton Doolin. And I do also like drafting Naheem Hines because in those games where they are behind, when they face the AFC West, when they face the Titans, when they face the Cowboys, there's going to be these games where they're going to be in comeback mode and Hines is going to be on the field a lot and he's going to have a couple 20-point weeks. And yeah. in best ball, you're just trying to bank those 20-point weeks when he enters your lineup and you're done. In a traditional league, I would never feel comfortable starting Naheem Hines. Yeah, and like the the strange part about it is, right, if you have this weapon that you have in Jonathan Taylor, conventional wisdom would tell you you never take him off the field, but Naheem Hines is so good at the role that he does, right, which is ultra-specialized, very specific, but within that role... He has established himself as one of the best at that role in the league. It's why they gave him a significant contract, right? Nobody pays running backs anything anymore. And they gave him a significant contract because they believe that that provides them value out of the backfield as a receiver. He's not insignificant, right? Like in redraft leagues and in dynasty, the tough part is like, you're relying on a Jonathan Taylor injury to ha- for him to have true standalone value where you feel comfortable week to week doing anything with him. But in best ball specifically, he's going to have those 20, 25 point weeks where they're just down. They need easy touchdowns. He runs routes better than most running backs. And he's going to have a couple of those. And if you draft him, where is he? One, 150 to 180 is where he's going probably in that same range. Like, in that range, who cares? You need you get two, three usable weeks out of him. That's a great pick that late in a, in a best ball draft. Love it, dude. Yeah, I love it. 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 So that's that's an interesting way to play the Colts. Matt Ryan, a value as your number three quarterback in Superflex. Certainly, yep. Jonathan Taylor at the one hundred and one because you're not going to get him otherwise. Naheem Hines in best ball only. Paris Campbell in all formats and run and hide from Alec Pierce. I'm also not drafting any Mo Alley Cox. That's also part of the case for Paris Campbell, but in particular, Michael Pittman is the lack of a volume commanding tight end that helps to offset the fact that this is a run first offense. So that's more of a case for Michael Pittman. And I like the Colts to win this division. Let's talk about the Jaguars. I go to the draft kit and I, I just love the graphics on the draft kit that this is this is the team where there's the most to gain from a second year leap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Between Jacksonville and when we talked about them earlier this year, the Jets, if there is a team that's capable of that Cincinnati Bengals-esque leap, it's going to be one of these two. What? I think it's going to be one of those two. This either- year? No, no, no. I'm saying long term. Their quarterback situation he's figured out. I'm talking about by year three, not by year two, year three, right? I think that if you're looking to 2023 for one of these teams to be a contender that came out of relatively nowhere, I think Jacksonville's a really good one to look at. Obviously, the departure of Urban Meyer might be more important than the addition of anything, 
if we're being totally transparent. But Doug Peterson is a Super Bowl winning coach. He's clearly capable of designing an offense that is functional, which is more than we could say of whatever the hell happened last year, right? Still don't love the Trent Balky situation, but look at what they added, right? Yes, we're going to have to talk about Christian Kirk's absurd contract. You're going to have to overpay to get guys in Jacksonville. It's the Jacksonville tax. Nah, nah, nah. You, you can't rationalize that. No, you no, can't I'm make saying, excuses. No, get, no, 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 no. Just re-sign your guy. Just re-sign G.J. Shark and don't let one of the savvier general managers in the league get him at value. That doesn't make he, any sense. Yeah, but it's Trent Baalke, so... <laughs> right, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a bottom five general manager, bottom five front office, absolutely. So it's going to be very difficult for this team to make a true leap and become a playoff contender if the front office is squandering opportunities to re-sign their own players at value to make you know the optimal draft pick. I mean, just their draft pick, man. For them to kind of go off the board. And at the last minute, take the fast rising edge rusher. Yeah, that is, oh, that is just uh, not not typically the right move, right? No, where it's like, okay, they, they're this guy's flashing at the combine, and n- instead of taking the guy that's been posted up as the signature, like a super disruptive, game changing edge rusher for years. Everyone's known about Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah. And then to 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 switch it at the last minute and say, no, 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 we, we, this other guy looks a little more athletic. Do you remember when the, the Miami Dolphins traded up to get an edge rusher from Oregon, but he actually wasn't Kayvon Thibodeau? He was more uh, the, the, the danger zone. Yes. Do you, do you remember the name of that guy? I believe it was Deion Jordan. <laughs> Deion Jordan. That's right. So... Trayvon Walker is probably very good. The number one overall edge rusher. He was from Georgia. It wasn't, you know, from you know, some uh, fringe school. The guy was up against the best competition. He was up against some elite tackles. And that tape that he put down against those elite tackles is what got him drafted at one overall. So I appreciate that. I appreciate how good he is. But generally speaking, you don't want to overthink it. Yeah. Right. Generally speaking, at the one on one, you just want to go with. I mean, if not Thibodeau, then go Hutchinson. I just that when we were in Vegas and I saw this all playing out and all these mocks were flipping and 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 posting up Walker like, oh, it's going to be Walker. We all know it's going to be Walker. It's an open secret. It's going to be Walker. I was like, I got to see this to believe it. Yeah. Right? Even though, yes, I know it's the Jaguars, but I got to see this to believe it. And then guess what happened? I saw it. And then once I saw it, I believed it. Yeah, and the thing about Walker is the ceiling is crazy high, right? And the way they used him at Georgia. Same with Deion Jordan. Same with Deion Jordan, right? But like the the way that they used him at Georgia was kind of interesting, right? Like everybody in that Georgia defense was so like Kirby Smart's defense is insanely tactical. It's way overcomplicated. It's obviously not for everybody because he will have guys that are superstars that won't play just because they don't get it. But Trayvon Walker's role within that defense was to funnel everything to everybody else. And so I'm interested to see now that Jacksonville is sort of going to let him off the leash, so to speak, and let him just go after the quarterback and do everything on his own. I'm interested to see how that turns out. Um, I would have gone Thibodeau. We've been over this. 
a million times. If not Thibodeau, I think the choice should have come down to Thibodeau or Iquanu. Yeah. Iquanu is going to be an absolute beast. He was number one on Cody's dog rating. Yep. Just a complete machine and 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 just a nasty player. Yeah. Just the nasty factor with the build of a mountain, right? A mountain, a nasty mountain. Think about a nasty mountain. Like what's a nasty mountain? K two, something yeah. like that. Like uh, he's the K two. He's a nasty mountain. That's what a quant. So if you're gonna go with a nasty mountain, I'm good with that. I'm good yeah. with that. I'm also very. I would have been great with Thibodeau. I would have been fine with Hutchinson. Walker was a bridge too far for me. Just too much yep. of a late riser in the process. That is always a red flag for me. When we look at the uh, Jacksonville over unders on Caesars plus six and a half, right? Six and a half win total. Okay. Over six and a half is plus one fifteen. Under minus one thirty five. So I don't know why they ever set it at six and a half and not six. That seems like a mistake. And then sure enough, they've had to adjust the payouts for that mistake. That was that's a weird mistake to make. It's a weird line. Why would they put six and a half for the, for the Jaguars? They haven't improved that much. I, I mean, I know that there's a leap in the making, especially with Trevor Lawrence, but their free agent class was so underwhelming. Yeah, but I mean, it's a part of it for Jacksonville, right? Is who you're replacing matters, right? Like they're they're replacing literal replacement level players with guys that are actual starters, and so like while it's not spectacular by any means, they're significantly better team than they were last year. Last year's Jacksonville Jaguars were the miracle against Buffalo is something that to this day, I'll, I'll never understand it. I don't know how it happened. We just throw that result out. In every other game, they didn't look like a properly coached NFL team. And so when you're replacing players that are borderline replacement level with guys that are not great, but NFL starters, we actually are going to get some kind of an accurate picture of what Trevor Lawrence looks like. And I beg anybody who's out on him to go back and watch what he did last year, especially running for his life. Nobody's separating. Nobody's getting open. And then he's throwing these incredible passes that are getting dropped. And you sit there and ask yourself, how do I evaluate this dude? It's utterly impossible, right? So they overpay for Christian Kirk. They add Zay Jones. They add Evan Ingram. So you say, so what? right? Who was he throwing to last year? And now you add ETN back. There are still the, the LaVisca Chenault truthers. We'll see how that works out. But like, no, LaVisca Chenault is Cordell Patterson. We know that that's a solved equation. It's at least a competent receiving core, which allows you to evaluate a quarterback somewhat, which we couldn't do last year. That is a fair statement. The baseline competence for a wide receiver. And I think a baseline competence, I think of Zay Jones on the Raiders last year. Yep. That's baseline competence, and that's what they have now. My yeah. favorite source of late-round wide receivers in best ball on underdog is absolutely the AFC South. We talk about Nico Collins being the guy to get around pick 150, Paris Campbell the guy to get around pick 170, and then even later than that, around pick 200, you can get Zay Jones. It's just yeah. a beautiful thing. And now, even in deeper leagues, I'm seeing Kyle Phillips – Kyle Phillips is going to play slot in Tennessee. It's the perfect talent configuration. You just post up Burks out at X, and I, I drafted Burks in the FFWC. I drafted both Henry and Burks. It was such a weird build, 
But I was just playing that when you play value police and you're not trying to do stacks, you're just trying to, you know, find the value that's coming to you. You're sitting in the middle of the round. And sure, I, I, I would have liked to do some stacking, but when a Burks is falling a full round after Drake London goes, you, you got to grab Burks. And now yep. I'm invested in this Titans offense, and I think it's going to be fine. Like I said, they're crossing against the AFC West. Thankfully, that's going to that's going to help, and they're going against a division winner schedule. So they're going to have to go and you know play whoever won the AFC West last year. So they're going to play the Bengals. They're going to play Kansas City. They're playing the Bills. So that's the Bulls' case for investing into this passing game. Not just Burks, because Burks is one of my favorite mid-round wide receivers because I think he can actually be a difference maker. League winner is a bit of a stretch, but if there's going to be a Jalen Waddle, no one's a Jamar Chase, but if there's going to be a Jalen Waddle from this class, it's going to be Traylon Burks, I believe. I'm with you. And it is interesting that in three receiver sets, it appears that it's going to be Kyle Phillips. He's running with the ones, and every day I look up, and there's more news about Kyle Phillips making plays... And he has that 90th percentile agility score. He was productive at UCLA. It it's just slides right in to that Jamison Crowder, Hunter Renfro archetype where you're not necessarily blown away by the guy physically, but he knows how to get leverage on defenders and he has good hands. And they need that guy in Tennessee. They haven't had that guy for some years. Remember they had uh, Kendall Wright? Oh, yeah. Once upon a time. So that that's the Kendall Wright archetype as well. And so it's just the perfect configuration where you have a Burks alpha on the left. Then you have Phillips and Woods playing off each other at Y and Z. It makes sense. I mean, Woods is the classic blocking Z receiver, possession Z receiver. And Phillips, like I said, is the prototypical slot receiver. So you go team by team. All the way to Zay Jones on the Jaguars, this division just happens to be a great source of ancillary receivers in best ball. Now, let's zero in on Nico Collins in Houston. In the fourth round of this FFWC draft, I drafted Cam Akers, as I typically like to do, <laughs> draft draft Cam Akers in the fourth round. I'm happy to have Cam Akers as my hero running back in the fourth round, but... I was able to get both Henry and Akers and then just pound receiver uh, into infinity, which was great. Felt good. Loved the team. We'll talk about it later. But it didn't get Nico Collins. Wanted him bad. Billy was considering Brandon Cooks in the fourth round, and he drafted a third running back just based on the value falling to him and James Conner. And we were looking back at our drafts of the draft board, and I said, man, your team would look better if you had gone – Brandon Cooks over James Conner. And he's like, you're absolutely right. You're at, I yeah. was considering Cooks there. I already had Judy there last week. You know, I've drafted Judy there a couple times. So I would have, it would have been nice to actually get Cooks there instead. And it makes sense that Cooks with Davis Mills playing so well, right? Every time you look up, there's more positive buzz from training camp around Davis Mills from BJ Bean Amimi Amy DJ Bean Amimi DJ Bean Amy practice over Davis Mills balled again 
threw the ball 19 times and only four incompletions. One was a spike. He was 11 for 14 in the team drills with a touchdown in the red zone package. Threw the ball to all three levels. The guy is good. He had a COVID-shortened final season at Stanford. Never had the resume that would put him up against a Mac Jones or a Trevor Lawrence when you just look at raw production, but he was an efficient passer. And he's demonstrating an NFL caliber skill set. He could be the next Kirk Cousins. This is what the next Kirk Cousins looks like. It looks like Davis Mills. Yeah, and the thing about Mills, especially going forward, right, is you want to see that first year where they show some flashes, and he definitely did that last year. But then you want to see that those flashes become more and more and more consistent. And based out of you know what we're what we're hearing at a training camp, it seems like he's taken that that jump from oh, like I got a starting job in the NFL, let's see what he can do, to now okay, I'm the guy. I'm going to week after week put together this consistent product for you, something that you can rely on. Because let's face it, if you're a third round quarterback, the odds that you have the ceiling to be, you know, what we think Trevor Lawrence can be is unrealistic. But what they have in Houston is a guy that's capable of throwing to all three levels, that showed a lot of flashes last year, that has a really dynamic receiver in Brandon Cooks. We like Nico Collins. Look, the Texans are a mess. We know this. Are they, though? The offense seems like it's not necessarily a total mess. This is what I'm saying. I don't necessarily think it's as messy as some assume, because it's like, oh, it's just so dismissive. Oh, the Texans, the Texans, the Texans, the Texans. Oh, it's the Texans again, the Texans again. And, and yes, we have their team projections uh, very low, right? Yeah. Yes, very low team projections, okay? But uh, the big concern is the offensive line. But they do have Tunsil and Howard. Yeah. They do have the left tackles, and that's what we like about the Titans' offensive line. It's very possible that their line is no better or worse than the Titans' offensive line. And if Nico Collins can step up as an alpha on the outside, he can play that Traylon Burks role. Cooks is a much more explosive Z receiver than Robert Woods. Davis Mills has a skill set now, not quite the runner that Ryan Tannehill is, but they had similar efficiency numbers last year. The only difference really on offense between the Texans and the Titans is the running back. (laughs) And then when you look at the running back, you start to see that there's a real drumbeat building for Damian Pierce, John McClain. John McClain is one of these classic sports reporters. Oh, yeah. Right. He has that classic sports reporter look. Oh, yeah. Right. The the hairline, just the, the profile, everything. It's just so just mustache perfect. Like, yeah, I envision this guy having a cigar hanging out of his mouth, right? <laughs> Writing down notes on a on a on a manual notepad with a pencil, right? A manual notepad. I don't even know how to, how to say that. A paper p- paper notepad. <laughs> he says, John McClain says, when describing Damian Pierce, who should be the starter when the season begins because the run game was pathetic last season. That's him injecting his own editorial content. Good for you, John, but that's not what the coaches said. What Pep Hamilton did say was that Damian Pierce is an explosive playmaker. An explosive playmaker, unlike they've had since Arian Foster. The problem is Arian Foster wasn't explosive. 
He wasn't an explosive playmaker. They had a great offensive line at the time. They ran a stretch zone to perfection. And he was one of the better cutback runners in the NFL. That's also what Damian Pierce excels at. From the senior bowl, that's what everyone was talking about. Damian Pierce was by far and away uh, had the best vision and was able to execute these cutback runs at a level the other running backs just weren't able to get. And it's like, okay, where was Damian Pierce in developmental leagues? And where was he in the prospect rankings pre-senior bowl? And the answer is he was nowhere. He was buried because he wasn't productive. So the Texans seem to be collecting all of these players that weren't productive in the third and fourth rounds for reasons that go beyond their control, right? It was outside Nico Collins' control how poorly Jim Harbaugh was architecting an offense at Michigan to a point that we now call it the Harbaugh handicap. Yeah. Okay, so Nico Collins fell to the late third round because of the Harbaugh handicap. Davis Mills fell because the Pac-10 played very few games in 2020. And Damian Pierce fell because the offense in Florida was completely anemic. And he only rushed for 500 plus yards. But in those in those few games where he actually was getting a full workload, he was a dominant runner. He was super efficient as a pass catcher. He caught 19 to 20 passes. Yeah. So he had a 95% catch rate and he scored 16 touchdowns. Like they couldn't matriculate the ball downfield. So he scored 13 touchdowns on the ground and three in the passing game. He's better than what they've had. That was impressive, man. That was an impressive late career push to get yourself drafted in the fourth round. And now he's on the perfect depth chart to seize control. I mean, he went at the 402, which is almost, almost a day two pick. So you're seeing Damian Pierce go earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier in drafts. I was shocked how early he went in the FFPC draft that I did last night. How early did he go? I was hoping you wouldn't ask. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have to pull up the... It's all good. The lights on my end went out, so I'm kidding. I have to pull up the draft board here. Damian Pierce was drafted in the ninth round, 901. Whoa. At the 901, it went Damian Harris and then Damian Pierce. Wow. The guy took back-to-back Damians. I took Ramondre Stevenson like six picks later. (laughs) Can you believe that? 901, wow. I mean, Damian Pierce went ahead of Ramondre Stevenson, seven picks ahead of him. That's crazy. There's basically now a consensus forming that Damian Pierce is on track to be the week one starter. And I mean, look, if... Mills can do what he did last year and take that next step forward. That offense, like you said, is not going to be anything to sneeze at. I mean, it's not going to be, we're not going to talk about it as an elite offense or anything, but there's value there, right? Anybody that's getting touches out of a backfield has value, and clearly he's going to get the lion's share of the touches in Houston's backfield. Now, how valuable will they be? The offensive line is improved, and... Davis Mills takes another step forward. This offense is going to be not. This offense is simply going to be not bottom five. Yeah. If all you're if all you're hoping for is it's not bottom five. I drafted Marlon Mack much yeah. later, just on the hope that this offense isn't bottom five. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot to not like 
about how Houston's gone about things the past couple years. But finding Davis Mills and actually letting him last year go through the growing pains of playing professional quarterback may have saved them from rebuild 2.0, right? Where now you've got to chase a quarterback and do all of this other stuff. And that's allowed them to, you know, now you can actually see Brandon Cooks had a really good year last year, like he always does. Nico Collins, if he takes that step forward that we're talking about, Damian Pierce looks like he might be the guy, right? You might have something here. Now, I'm not talking about a team that's going to threaten for the playoffs or anything, but they're going to be a tougher out than the doormat that they were, you know, that they were projected to be. If you talked about the 2022 Texans last year, you know, they were going to be the doormat. They were going to be the team that people talked about as a joke. And I don't think they're as much of a joke anymore. Brevin Jordan. Yeah. Why not Brevin Jordan? I have a lot of Brevin Jordan in dynasty because I always go late round tight end. And then I'm hoarding all these, Upside, upside plays, but yeah, he ran a four six eight at his pro day. He has well above average speed, and he is a proper move tight end. Yeah, right. If this team makes a big leap at some point, he's going to be a candidate. Not this year, maybe next year. He could be. He's teeing up himself to be a twenty twenty three Dalton Schultz. Ooh. Right, I know. I like. He's a year away. He's a year away from being touted as a Dalton Schultz, where Brandon Cooks is exiting. There's not a lot of talent on this uh, in this wide receiver core. It's up in the air whether John Mechie is going to make a recovery and become. Man, we really hope that happens. NFL player in the future. I hope he does. It's very possible. That he beats this thing. It is the least devastating of the leukemias. So that's good news for him. It's very possible. But we could be looking up in a year or two. And the primary options in that passing game are Brevin Jordan and Nico Collins. It's very possible. So Brevin Jordan is a must roster in Dynasty. Especially tight end premium. And... He is one of those ripcord tight ends. If I am in best ball, if I am on underdog and I am, if I've waited too long and I didn't get, say, Ertz and Albert O as like the worst case scenario, two tight ends that I can live with and and stick to two tight ends without drafting a third. If I get sniped on Ertz or I don't get Albert O and I've drafted Irv Smith and Austin Hooper and I need that third tight end very late. I'm looking for Hayden Hurst. If there's no Hayden Hurst, then you can start to shoot for a pure upside play at tight end. And Brevin Jordan is that because they do not have a number three option. Now with John Mechie out for the year, watch Brevin Jordan be one of the league leaders right there with Dalton Schultz in slot snaps for tight ends. Yeah, I could definitely see it. You don't want them blocking. You want them out no. there running routes. No, you do not want them blocking. Brevin Jordan's going to run a lot of routes this year. The AFC South is just a great source for sleepers in fantasy football.
AFC South is just a great source for sleepers in fantasy football. Yeah. And I think if you look at this division as a whole, right, um, we're waiting for somebody to long-term take over this division. And the Titans and the Colts for the last couple of years have fought it back and forth. We had the one breakout year for Jacksonville. I think it was 2017, right? And then Houston, while they had Watson, had a couple of years where they looked like they were a really good team. So it's going to be interesting to revisit this, you know, two, three years from now as to see what team took that leap, right? It, it looks like Indy's really swinging for the fences by trading for Matt Ryan and, you know, really trying to open a window to actually win something. And it feels like Tennessee realized, hey, we need to get younger at several spots. Z receivers is not one of them, but X is. Trade A.J. Brown, bring in Traylon Burks, right? And essentially continue funneling everything through Derrick Henry, but add Austin Hooper, See if you can add a different dimension to your pass game. Jacksonville, obviously, we just need the offense around Trevor to be competent so that we can look at him and see what we've got here, and I think they do that. So it's, I think it's a really interesting division overall, but I'm most interested to see what Houston and Jacksonville turn into because we know that the Titans and Colts are going to be pretty good teams no matter what. It's just a matter of can they hit those highs. I don't think either of them is going to be a number one seed this year, uh, but Trevor Lawrence, Davis Mills – Year two, I think that's really exciting. That's that's what I'm most looking forward to in this division. Really excited for Davis Mills. Yeah, I, I want to see it. Right, like we their saw over that. under is four and a half. I'm going over on that, and you get extra. Pl- you get a bonus, right? You get a payout four bonus when you take the low. over. It's plus one hundred. Four and a half feels low. Yeah, plus one hundred. Now, because th- I mean, they have a, a bottom five defense, but if they can get some playmakers activated on defense, I love this. Over for the Houston Texans. Four and a half is low. Yeah, I go under on the Jaguars, under on the Titans, over on the Colts, over on the Texans. Yep. I think that's the way to look at it. Because I think Jacksonville's probably one year away from... Trevor Lawrence could make the jump, and they could go over that six and a half. We're talking about you have to make a pretty big leap in order to do that. But I think 2023 is really the year that we look at Jacksonville as a team that could really break out. Houston this year, to me, is just much more stable. We know a lot more about what's going on there than we do about what's going on in Jacksonville and how all these pieces are going to fit together. But those two are the teams that I'm really looking at in the division this year because I think we kind of know what we've got in Indianapolis with Matt Ryan being much more stable and then with you know Tennessee running the ball, play defense, and then we'll see if they add wrinkles to their pass game. But overall, interesting division for sure. Bingo. That's the show. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I think uh, no Deshaun Watson. No Deshaun Watson. We'll- no, you know, no Deshaun Watson, no Bill No Bill O'Brien. Just a lot of the, the chaos around this franchise has subsided. Yeah. And it is nice that they can have a nice stable offseason with a bunch of young players and, and just focus on playing football for a year. And oh my God, dude, look at how many draft picks they got back to. Like... They, if if Mills is the guy and you don't have to invest a quarterback, oh god, look at yeah, well, yeah. oof, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. It's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, what's going on with the latest? What's the latest with Deshaun Watson? Uh, they appealed, which means they're gonna drop the hammer. There's, they're essentially what I'm what I'm figuring is they're gonna fight this out in court, and it's gonna get ugly real quick, like. 
What I don't think they're prepared to understand, like what the league does not quite understand is that if they go through with this, which it appears they want to, and they don't negotiate with the PA and come to some kind of agreement, it's going to go to court and the PA is going to force the league to disclose a bunch of information about its owners that they don't want out there. So I don't know what they think they're getting away with here. Like I get, I understand why they, why they don't agree with uh, like Sue Robinson's punishment, but she's holding them to their own standard. Like that's the problem. So it's like a, it's a multifaceted issue. The real problem is she wanted to suspend him for a full year plus, but based on the suspensions that they gave other people, and the fact that she could only get access to four cases as opposed to all 20 whatever of them. That's the decision that she came to understanding that the NFL has been too lenient on punishment and that this would set a new precedent for what ultimately amounts to no criminal charges. It's a mess. Well, it's a mess. Why, why do they even go through that exercise if it doesn't mean anything? Oh, it means everything, Matt. It means that an independent party came through and suggested six games, and the NFL is taking this big, strong stance. Well, isn't it? I don't understand how they can appeal it. Okay, well, who are they appealing to? The themselves. (laughs) That's the. This doesn't make any sense. Of course, it doesn't make any sense. It's not supposed to make sense. What is happening? It's theater. It's some kind of theater. I don't even get it. Of course, before this, Goodell was the judge, jury, and the executioner, right? The only thing he's done is removed his title as judge. Still the jury and the executioner. Nothing's changed. So he's going to get more than six games. Oh, yeah. And then they're going to fight it out in court. And if the court grants a stay as they fight through this, it could be the NFL's worst nightmare. Deshaun Watson could start week one, right? So here's the concern. If you're the league, you can't have him out out there week one. You also can't accept six games, right? So... What do you do? This is your only option. If you're the PA, this is the best case scenario for you because now you're using Watson as a token to get information that you've wanted for years, which is essentially how have you actively avoided punishing your owners and punished our players in the process? Well, especially the the Cal McNair and that whole Texans organization facilitating all this behavior. Right. Here's the other part. Snyder's stuff that wasn't released – and the initial Washington investigation, that's going to come to light. The Dolphin stuff with Stephen Ross, that's all going to come to light. Any owner out there that's done anything shady is now afraid because the league wants to make an example out of Watson and essentially say, hey, we're finally going to take this shit seriously. The problem is you're exposing all the skeletons in your closet if they take this to court, which they will. The PA is absolutely going to sue the league on Watson's behalf. A judge will likely grant Deshaun Watson the ability to play week one until they sort all of this out. And sure, the league wins to an extent because he's probably going to get suspended in 2023 instead of this year. But what have you accomplished? Maybe. Yeah. Like, maybe. Who knows? But he's practicing with the ones, like, as if he's playing. Yeah. Because he knows. If the the PA goes to bat for him, which they will, they're going to sue the league. And there is a legitimate chance that barring him somehow ending up on the commissioner's exempt list, which now that you've ordered a suspension, you can't do. What are you going to do? He's still on the commissioner's exempt list? No, he was never on the commissioner's exempt list. But once you're suspended, you can't be put on the commissioner's exempt list, right? 
the six-game suspension didn't actually happen. It was a recommendation. It was a recommendation that would have gone final had they accepted it. They did not. They appealed it to themselves, which is hilarious in an entirely different mm-hmm. context. Mm-hmm. But now this is going to be taken completely out of their hands because the PA is going to swing back and say, you had outside counsel that recommended six games. You've gone way far above and beyond that. And the league's recourse is going to be, well, she only saw four cases. We saw 20-something. There are so many ways this could go. The easiest one, and the one that we all kind of hope happens, is that the PA and the league come to some kind of resolution. Let's say it's 12 games a year, whatever, forfeits money. But the problem with that for the P- from the PA side is Watson still maintains he did nothing wrong. So... What do you do? The commissioner really wants him suspended. They want him suspended for a year. No, they want him suspended indefinitely with the chance to appeal after a year. They didn't want to just do that. They had it sent to a third-party arbitrator so that they wouldn't get the blowback no matter what the decision was. Right. And then from there, now they look like the good guy because they're going way above and beyond to say, you can't do this. We want you suspended indefinitely. Seek counsel, seek treatment, seek help, and in a year we'll revisit it. Revisit this. What about last year? He, he, got he, paid he, was, he was out with all last year. Wasn't he getting help last year? No, he's never admitted to it. That's the problem. Deshaun not immediately saying, "Hey, what I did was wrong." Blah 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 blah. I don't think it was as serious as anybody else does. It was consensual, whatever. And saying, "Let me go see someone to see if I have a problem." We could have put this all to bed because. The issue right now is him not showing remorse and wanting to fight it is going to drag everything out. It's going to drag the the whole negotiation for the suspension out. It's going to drag all of the skeletons out of NFL owner closets. It's going to drag so much shit. Like, this is going to be bad. If they don't get together and come to a resolution, this is going to be really bad. What's the resolution possibly? Just eight games? Just add two I, more games? I think what they the minimum the league will settle for is twelve and and money paid back. The big thing is they want money back. Ultimately, there Deshaun Watson got paid thirty million dollars not to play football last year. He was essentially the beneficiary of being accused of being a sexual assailant. It sounds ridiculous, but it's what happened. Oh, Deshaun Watson is not in Kansas anymore. Was he ever in Kansas? I don't know. If you are in Kansas, you can start signing up for sports betting right now on FanDuel. They have a special offer before sports betting goes live in Kansas. You can sign up early with a special bonus offer. Check it out in the show notes. I envision this guy having a cigar hanging out of his mouth, right? <laughs> writing down notes on a, on a, on a manual notepad with a pencil. Right, a manual notepad. I don't even know how to, how to say that. A paper notepad. Remember Marquez Calloway last year? Oh yeah. Remember? Uh, you know, at the pylon. Oh, Marquez Calloway touchdown! Oh, this matters. No, it doesn't. They're gonna have to scour the earth for me. I'm gonna be gone. I'm gonna be in outer space. Like he's gone, everybody. Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. He's in the Ashton Doolin spaceship. I was hoping you wouldn't ask. <laughs> We could have put this all to bed.
right? A manual notepad. I don't even know how to say that. A paper notepad. 